So this is week four of uh, the Unwholesome Talk series. We've got another week to go. Uh, what a great job by Pastor Dusty last week giving us the three Ps uh, during Mother's Day and uh, Dusty and Albie's not with us this morning. They uh, went out of town for a, a getaway. Um, sometimes we need those breaks, amen, to give us a little period of rest. Uh, so pray for Dusty and Albie this week that they would uh, recuperate over this uh, season away, this time away. I'm so thankful that he um, stepped up on Mother's Day to minister last week and carry on the unwholesome talk sermon series on Mother's Day. So our key verse for this series is Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So we've talked about a couple of things so far. What is unwholesome talk? We shared in week one. Week two, we talked about the power of spoken words. Then last week, Pastor Dusty talked to us about how to respond to unwholesome talk that comes in your direction. Today I want us to look at some other words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount to let us know how to speak and what to say. Because the opposite of unwholesome talk is wholesome talk. And that's why this verse ends telling us to do things for the benefit of others. So in Genesis, the beginning of all things, God come looking for Adam and Eve's son one day. One was named Cain and one was named Abel. And God asked, where is your brother, Cain? And Cain, with some unwholesome talk, smarted off to God and said this, am I my brother's keeper? Look at your neighbor and say, I don't like a smart mouth. Or a smart aleck. Eric made that poor baby cry. Poor little crew. So, beings that God intends for us to answer him, he has questions for us that he's seeking answers from us. We need to be careful about how we speak when we're answering God. 
So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins, it's literally the first sermon that is shared in the New Testament. There's a couple of different places from the different Gospels that depict the Sermon on the Mount. But I want us to look at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus is standing up on this mountainside and preaching to a multitude of people that had come to hear what he had to say. So verse 21 is where we're going to start. Matthew chapter 5 verse 21. He says, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. He said, you have heard. But then verse 22 says, but I say. So there's a difference in what you've heard and what Jesus says. So if we go off of everything that we have learned throughout our lives, or what we believe because we've always heard it, does that make it truth? Jesus says, but I say. You have heard, but I say. We would be a lot better off to live our lives according to what Jesus says. He said, but I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Is there anybody in the room that's ever been angry? Okay, the truth tellers are up front. All the rest of you can learn from these kids down here. So we think murderers are people that's going to be hard to be forgiven. That that's a big task. But then at the same time, Jesus is saying, you've heard that's true, that is true, that you shouldn't commit murder, that is the Old Testament. But Jesus is saying, I'm taking it a step farther, and I say to you, if you're mad at somebody, that you're guilty of murder as well, and you're subject to judgment. I would rather have the mercy of God than the judgment of God. Now listen to this, and this is a new international version, but listen to this. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. Have you ever called somebody an idiot? There's some more people up here raising their hands. Ernie's getting there. We go. Ann's coming through. I'd say we're all guilty at some point in our life of calling people an idiot. I don't know all the answers of the difference between being ignorant and an idiot, but Jesus tells us here to not do that because when we do, we're going to be brought before the court. What court? The court of public per persuasion or perspection? Or are we looking at it from the court of God? I do not want the judgment of God, so I need to be careful what I say. 
especially those of you with kids, be careful what you say because it will be repeated in public. What you say <laughs> in the secret of your home, kids don't know to not repeat it when they get out. Has anybody ever experienced that? That's why I'm glad I don't have kids. You can be talking about somebody in the comfort of your home and calling them an idiot, and then your kid goes to school the next day and tells the teacher, well, mommy said so-and-so's an idiot. Well, daddy said the neighbor was an idiot. Be careful what you say. Jesus goes on and says, If you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. That's scary. So cursing someone isn't just using four-letter words. It's when we speak ill of them or wish gloom and doom upon somebody because maybe you've been done wrong and maybe you don't like it very much. But God is asking us to season our words with salt so that they're purified when we speak that it brings healing to those that listen. Let's stop cursing because cursing is unwholesome talk. And if we curse someone, think about that, we're in danger of the fires of hell. I don't know about you, but I don't intend to make hell my home. I'm looking towards heaven. We have to choose today who we will serve, either God or ourselves. Because when we serve ourselves, we're actually heading in the pathway of the devil. And hell is his future. Don't follow his lead. Verse 23, Jesus goes on and he's explaining this to these people. And these are Jewish people that were accustomed to living out the Old Testament. And they loved the word of God and they loved studying the word of God. And they knew it and they could repeat it. They could recite it. Most Jews in that day and time could repeat the first five books of the Bible completely recite the first five books of the Bible. That's a tall feat, but not impossible. Because they took into account where Moses told them to study day and night the Word of God. And they lived by the Torah. They loved the Torah. But Jesus is explaining to them, it's one thing to know what the Word of God says, but it's another thing to do what the Word of God tells you. That we need to live out as Christians a sanctified life, a set-apart life, to where that as others are watching our lives, that we're not perfect, and we understand that. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect to be a Christian. God will use you, but give your life to Him and watch and see what He does with you. Verse 23, Jesus says, So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar 
in the temple. And this was something that they did repetitively because the Old Testament told them to. So if you're presenting a sacrifice to the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has said something against you. So this is what Dusty was talking about last week. If someone has said something against you. Not that you said something against someone else. It says, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So as we're worshiping God and giving our alms and giving our offerings and sacrifice of praise to God, we need to come with a clear heart and a clear mind. And Jesus is explaining to those people that was in attendance that day at this Sermon on the Mount that unwholesome talk both goes out and comes back. So when you know that someone has got odd against you or you have odd against someone else, it's best to make it right. It's best to set things straight. And that doesn't mean go and confront them and put them down and belittle them. It means to go with humbleness and to show mercy the way God shows mercy to us. That we're to be gracious in how we conduct ourselves. Because we cannot expect God to give us grace and mercy and us not to return that to others. Verse 25 says, when you're on the way to the court with your adversary, settle your difference quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. So if you're getting sued, settle outside of court. Verse 26 says, and if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Next, Jesus goes into another segment and he says, you have heard that the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better that you lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It'd be easy to take those verses and make them literal. And if that was the case, I think a lot of us would be walking around with no eyes and no hands. Amen? Because our eyes cause us to sin. And our hands causes us to do things that we should not do. Jesus goes on and expounds on that thought to say that you have heard that the law says a man can give divorce can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. 
But I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You have heard it said, but I say. God's way of doing business or God's way of seeing things or God's way of how to live out what Scripture says, Jesus is telling us not just to use the words and repeat them and regurgitate them and memorize them, but to put them into actions how we conduct ourselves. Now we're getting to the verses that I want you to listen to even more. Verse 33. You have also heard that our ancestors were told you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. A vow is a promise. So if we promise God something, then we must carry those things out. If we tell God and pray to God, God give me a spouse, and I promise that I'll treat her like a queen. Or if you're praying for a spouse and you say, God give me a wife, and I'll treat her like a queen. Or if you're a lady and you're praying and you say, give me a husband and I'll treat him like a king, then that is a vow you've made to God. And you should live that out. And that's easy to say when we're in desire of something. But when he actually gives us something, Earl's sitting there, he's hugging on Amy right now. This must be convicting or something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's conviction setting in. Husbands, love your wives. It's scripture. Wives, cherish your husbands. But these vows that we make are commitments to God. And when we stand at an altar and give ourselves into marriage, that the vows that we make till life, till death do us part. For rich, for poor, all those things. You will experience those things. There's good times and there's bad times. And in the midst of those bad times is when you're going to say things that are unwholesome talk. And that's when your vows are going to be accounted to you. What did you promise and what are you doing? It's easy to be nice in the good times, but what about the bad times? Has anybody ever been through some bad times? I was standing in the back a minute ago and just thinking about this and I've been through some situations with people in the room and I saw your post this week, Lonetta, bragging about the miracles of God that's sitting beside you today. And I remember going to Huntington and standing in a room with a girl that I graduated high school with and seeing her devastated because her son was laying there on a vent 
and wondering if he was going to be okay. I remember praying with her. I remember Amy being back at the church and constantly posting things about it. And we as a church believe in prayer. And the vows that I made to God when I become a minister and I accepted the call to ministry was a, a call that I need to be there in the bad times and the good times. And those are hard times. And as I was pondering that back there a moment ago and looked down the aisle just a few seats further, Chuck, I remember driving to Columbus and seeing your baby that's sitting there beside of you and seeing the tears flow down his eyes and say, it's going to take a miracle. Our God is a miracle-working God. And the words we say matter. And the reason I'm saying this is because when you see someone struggling, don't get on the bandwagon with everybody else and start depicting about why they did this or they must have done that wrong or this is the judgment of God on their life or whatever. Begin to speak wholesome words of encouragement to those that are struggling, to those that are afflicted, to those that are in a situation in their life that they can't see their way out of. Speak words of life where there is dead places. Because I promise you, the words that we speak matter. And the actions of our feet matter. And God is asking us in this place today, you've heard it said, but I say. He's encouraging these Jewish people that's sitting on this hillside in this sermon. You've heard it said, but I say. He's encouraging them to put feet to the gospel. He tells us our vows that we commit to God. Whenever we prayed the sinner's prayer and we say, Jesus, I give you my life, that's a vow to God. It's a serious, serious thing. We should uphold that and keep that in good times and bad times. Because bad times are coming. Don't give up. The Bible says that he will save those that endure till the end. If you're going through a hard time, know this, that God will help you. That God is for you. He has not forsaken you. That he will go with you even to the end of the age. Won't you look over at your neighbor and tell him, God loves you. Now tell him, say, that was some wholesome talk. Verse 34 says, but I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. So this was terms that they would use in their society of that day. So if I was going to put it in today's terms, or what it would be like in our culture, I've heard people say these things. 
I swear on my mother's grave or I swear on this grave. Or we should not be using those terms because we're committing to things that's going to be hard to keep. Jesus is telling them not to not make vows to God, but not to make vows to men that you cannot keep. Because when we let people down and we're a Christian, we're representative of God, people are going to hold God accountable for what we let them down on. So it's unwholesome talk to make a vow to God or a vow to people that we cannot keep. Verse 36, do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. This must have been a time before all the manufacturers for dye. Does anybody dye their hair in the room? Anybody want to admit to that? Okay. Yeah, there's people dyeing their hair. Rick, did you dye your hair frosted? Did you get that frosting look? Or I dyed my beard white just so it would look like this. I thought it would be cool. Not really. Verse 37 is the verse that I want us to really look at today. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. So in the King James Version, it says, Jesus said, Let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay. Everybody say it with me. Let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay. That's easier said than done. It's hard to say yes and no because some things need a little more explaining. And some people says we don't need to use words at all, that we just need to go around and let your yea be yea and nay be nay. But I think that's a misrepresentation to what Jesus was saying. What if everybody just said yes or no? We would never communicate anything. So I want to read you this little illustration. A professional golfer named Tommy Boat was playing in Los Angeles and had a caddy with a reputation of constant chatter. Before they teed off, Boat told him, don't say a word to me. And if I ask you something, just answer yes or no. During the round, Boat found the ball next to a tree where he had to hit under a branch. He had to go over a lake onto the green. He got down on his knees and looked through the trees and sized up the shot. What do you think, he asked the caddy, a five iron? No, said the caddy. What do you mean not a five iron? Boat snorted. Watch this shot. The caddy rolled his eyes. No. But Boat hit it, and the ball stopped about two feet from the hole. He turned to his caddy, handed him a five iron, and said, Now what do you think about that? You can talk now. Mr. Boat, the caddy, said, 
that wasn't your ball. <laughs> so it would have been better off to have a little chatter and not just go with a yes and no. Would have been better off to hit the right ball. It's grateful to see that the golf outing yesterday was a success and seeing a lot of people posting about it in our community that there's raising money for the sports teams here in Lewis County and it's a great thing to see people involved and a good turnout. The only way for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. God is asking us to get involved. To be his representatives and to speak on his behalf. And not just a yes or no, but explaining things to people that are facing situations in their life. There's a lot of things happening. And Christians need to be there. beginning of this year we read a book as a church and I asked all of us to get involved that could and everybody bought the book and it was by Kerry Newhoff I listen to his podcast all the time his podcast is called lead like never before but the book was entitled at your best and he pointed out that most of us are over committing and saying yes and that we have a hard time saying no Saying no is no fun. But we continue to be stressed, and he calls this a burnout stage, to where that when we overcommit and just do too much that we find ourselves stressed out and we end up going through phases called burnout. But he taught us to strategize and to prioritize things in our lives and to be blessed with those things. How many would rather be blessed than stressed? Amen? I want to be blessed and not stressed. But prioritizing things in our life is easier said than done. So we read that book, and as he was going through the book, he told us to write down priorities and, and how that oftentimes we'll say something is a priority to us, but He says if you log your time, that your time that you spend with things proves what your priority really is. Now I'm saddened to say that I haven't mastered this being at my best just yet. I overcommit all the time as a person. I really do have a hard time saying no. Is anybody with me? Just doing too much. There's only so much of you and not enough to go around. I know that I've not spent near enough time with my parents. It's been weighing on me. 
a lot lately. The other day, Mom made me some pies for an event that I was going to attend where I committed myself to a function. Mom was busy out doing her thing. So I drive up the holler where that she had made pies and left them on the counter. And Dad was out in the garden, tilling the garden. And I pull up the driveway because I got off work at the time I was supposed to get off, but it put me in a rush to get to where I needed to go to. I went around back to the house and went through the back door and grabbed the pies and grabbed all the stuff and carried it back out the door. Began to put it in the car and Dad come walking around the side of the house and sat down on the porch and started asking some questions. And in that moment, I was stressed. Because I had somewhere to be and I had things I had to do. But as he continued to talk, I just sat there a little bit longer. Because we need to enjoy the moments that we have. And to have wholesome talk with those that we love. I would rather live blessed than stressed. Out at the racetrack last night, I during intermission, I was sitting there talking, Wayne, and watching two young men that's a little bit younger than me. Both of them lost their dad this past year. And I watched them talk to each other, and I watched tears floating down their face. pain was real and hearing them agonize about the <laughs> distress of dealing with loss and my heart just ache Sometimes you just need to be there. <laughs> to just be present. And in those times you don't have to say a lot. Just be there. And there's so many sitting in this room. That we know the stories of your loss. My heart is with you today. And Jesus is here to meet us in the midst of our situations.
Jesus is telling the folks at the Sermon on the Mount. To live your best life now. To do what's right and don't wait till tomorrow. And as I think about my grandma Frances and losing her to COVID and took me back to the last time that I saw her, me and Allie left after church service and we went out to the nursing home and it was early on during the COVID outbreak and all that stuff and just a few months into it. And to stand outside of a window and watch her not be able to drink water without throwing up and watch her not be able to breathe. To watch her say, help me. And not been able to do anything. Life is hard. careful what you say be careful what you do let's turn our own unwholesome talk into wholesome talk and let's be there for each other Because a church is something the world needs, especially those that are hurting, especially those that are going through a trial or tribulation or pain. God has us here together because he wants us together. Let's see if you'll put up that picture. One of our partners that we partner with is family, Randy Cartwright and Kathy. It's called Royal Compassion. and They come into areas and they bring truckloads of goods and they give them to churches. And we've done this twice ourselves as the Bridge Church. And He posted this the other day and... I love this quote. It was something that I, I haven't saw this before. It says, be the best church for the community, not the best church in the community. I think that's wholesome talk. We're not in competition with other churches. 
And I've talked to other pastors of other churches here in our community. And every time we ever get together for a vigil or for something or that's going on, they all speak about the need for unity in our community. Be the best church for the community, not the best church in the community. So this past week, I received a call from the Chamber of Commerce and they asked me to ask you, the Bridge Church, to be who you normally are because you guys give so much to the community. I want this church to be for the community, not just in the community. And there's an event coming up next weekend on Saturday, it's called the May Fest, and they're trying to get it off the ground, and I think they have 70 some booths that's already vendors that's signed up to come, and they're expecting downtown to be full. Friday, they're having a, a veterans wall that's going to be come in and be placed for the event, and it's coming in, and thir uh, Friday night, they're going to hopefully make like a train of veterans that's going to lead this wall. It's, it's a mobile wall that they bring into communities, and they're wanting all the veterans that can to come and drive in front of this wall and lead it in from Toesboro to downtown. Then Saturday, they're going to have events going all day long for kids and just a lot of good stuff going on. I've known about it for some time and it was an event a while back and took dad down to the historical society with me and the gentleman was there, an elderly gentleman, and he was talking about making tobacco sticks and he's talked to my dad about them and to see my dad light up and talk about the days when he made tobacco sticks and sold them for pennies because he had lost his job and trying to keep me and Howie fed. The old man said, well, won't you come down and set up and make them down here at the historical booth that we're going to set up and my dad just couldn't say no, so he went and cut a tree. He's got it ready, and he's going to be down there making tobacco sticks. Most people won't even know what a tobacco stick is. Anybody know what a tobacco stick is? A show of hands. Anybody tobacco sticks? <laughs> Every barn's full of them, but my dad's going to make a few more. Young people don't know what they're missing. Getting all gummed up with tobacco and topping and killing tobacco worms, hoeing it out, setting it, planting it, cutting, hanging it in the barn, stripping it. The wonderful experience of childhood that I look back and I didn't understand then, but it was a time of blessing. chamber asked us as a church to help them if we could so anybody that can next Saturday if 
you could just go downtown and, and help them, whether it's be help people set up their, the vendors that'll be coming in, some of them's food trucks, just different things, and some of them's gonna have the canopies, and you know how, anybody ever set up one of those canopies by yourself? It's really, really hard. You need about four people, one on each corner. We do it every year over at camping. So just extra hands is all they really need. It's nothing big, but it would be wonderful if we as a church could be for our community when they need us, and they've asked for our help, so I implore you to help this week if you can. If you'd be interested in doing that, you can reach out to me or Leslie or Dusty and Albie or, or get with us and We'd be glad to get you with the people that we need to get to downtown to make this a memorable event. How many's ever heard it said in Lewis County, there's nothing to do around here? Anybody ever heard that? So when there is something to do around here, what are we going to do? We're going to gripe because they ask us to do something around here? <laughs> That's unwholesome talk when we say there's nothing to do around here. There's events going all the time. Little League's been hopping lately. There's, there's places to be. There's things to do. Get involved before the community. Be in it. Jesus was in his. Why are we not in ours? You guys are aces is the bridge. But they ask for our help, so if you can, please come and help. You have heard it said, there's nothing to do around here. But I say to you, next weekend, there's something to do around here. That's the way Jesus talked. Let's take the negative and turn it to positive. Let's take the bad and turn it to good. Let's take the pain and turn it to healing. We have choices to make. Choose this day whom you will serve. Serve God and see what he does in your life. Won't you bow your head with me if you will and close your eyes. Jesus called out the religious of his day to go above and beyond what they had heard. feel like God is calling us out today and saying go above and beyond what you have heard so I want to pray over us as a group and as a church and if you don't know God today in this place today would be an awesome day for you just to make a vow to God and basically say it's not a sinner's prayer that we have to pray it's just basically saying Jesus I give you my life and to mean it. So if your heart is beating and God is knocking on your heart's door the way he promised he would, if you don't know him today and you've never given him your life, today would be a perfect day to do that. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I give you my life. Everybody here, repeat that with me. Jesus, I give you my life. That is a prayer. And it's a prayer that will work. So I want to pray over us as a congregation. 
for those that's watching online, those that'll listen this week. Jesus, we come to you and we ask you to help us with our talk. Lord, that we will let our yay be yay and our nay be nay. That we will do what we say we will do. That Jesus, that you will help us live out the principles that you teach us through your gospels and through your stories and the parables that you taught. Jesus, let us be living proof to the world in which we live that you are an ever-present help in the time of trouble. God, for those that are in need, we pray that your word will become true, that you will supply all of our needs according to your riches. God, for those that are hurting, I pray, God, today that you would be the healer. Spiritual, emotional, physical. That your healing touch would be upon us, oh God. We pray for those that are outside your will. Those that don't know you. For those that's never heard about you. Help us to remain on mission. To be who you've called us to be. Help us to be a blessing this week to those that we come in contact with. That you would let us wrap loving arms around them and give hugs to speak words of encouragement. That wholesome talk would begin to be a reality in how we speak. That we would speak life and not death. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. The church says, Amen. Amen.